and welcome to the first podcast for Santa Fe College's literary journal, The Zephyr, which is published annually by Santa Fe College in the English department. My name is Rebecca Johnston, and I am here with Readers and Writers Club President Haley Harrelson to interview Professor Jana Moretti, who teaches creative writing here at Santa Fe and writes creatively as well. Haley. Um, so I guess we could start off with the first one. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so um, let's see. I've been at Santa Fe College now. This is going on my fifth year. And um, I got to Santa Fe College uh, by way of University of Florida. I studied, uh, I got my Master of Fine Arts in Fiction um, at University of Florida. And um, let's see here. I am a Marine Corps veteran. And I'm married. I have a six-year-old daughter. Let me see what else. Um, and um, I am a competitive power lifter. And that's my other love other than writing. Okay, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> for those of us who are not super athletic, what is competitive power lifting? So power lifting is uh, the combination of the three lifts. It's... Um, there's a back squat, a bench press, and a deadlift, and you get three attempts at each lift, and then at the end, your highest numbers are added together, um, and then your score is going against other people, both in your weight class uh, and in your age group, or all age groups if you want, which is what I do, and um, and then they compare, like dot score is what it's called, when you're comparing against people who aren't your weight. So that way they have a, a term or a coefficient where they can see like how are how does a hundred and forty eight pound person stack up against a two hundred and forty pound person? So that's it. Okay, I'm not sure yeah. if I can say this, but that is pretty badass right there. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> I talk to my students about it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, you talk about it in class a few times. Yeah. Sometimes I come in and I'm like, so guess what? I just benched a lot of weight today, you guys. All right, let's talk <laughs> writing now. <laughs> well, what's your top weight? That you lifted. Can I ask that? Is that? Yeah. Um, so my top squat is 315, Jeez. and my bench is 200, <laughs> and my deadlift is 330. Um, but I'm looking to top those numbers in four weeks. I have a competition. What? So I'm hoping for a like, 340 squat, 335, 340, a 215 bench, and a 360 deadlift is what I'm, is what I'm hoping for. We'll see. It's impressive. Yes. Thank you. I'm <laughs> putting it out into the universe. It will happen. So I'm going to make it happen. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And you you write fictionally. Yeah. I write fiction and nonfiction. Um, I used to feel as though because I studied fiction that I needed to continue only writing fiction. And I realized the more that I have been writing and as I've gotten older and wiser that I was using fiction as a means or a vehicle to process things that had happened in my life that I wasn't really sure that that's what I was doing. Uh, but I was using this, this distance, um, uh, presumed objectivity, <laughs> uh, to try to work through some of the things that had happened in my life that I wasn't all the way sure of. And it's only now that I'm in my 40s that I feel like I can confront some of those things in a nonfiction mode. Um, which is simultaneously exciting um, and terrifying at the same time. So I'm allowing any mode to happen. Uh, I'm just trying to snatch it. Whatever the, the thoughts are, I'm trying to snatch it and capture it. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. 
certain genre you prefer to write in? Well, um, so lately, this newest project that I've been working on um, is still in its infant stages, so it's very precious and new uh, and exciting and fragile. Um, I've been interviewing women powerlifters, and then I'm taking their stories, so I'm doing it through Zoom interview. So I've been on the other side of the table, but just on a computer instead where I'm like really nervous. Um, and then I ask all these questions, and I take these women's stories and I refashion them and publish them as an article, but I don't write it as a transcript and I don't do it chronologically. I enter it like a story, like what's the most interesting thing? And so I start with that and then I tell these women's stories or I shape it in such a way using skills or conventions that are from fiction and nonfiction in order to create a a story that when readers uh, ingest it, what they're doing is they're feeling the feelings that these people had felt during those moments that were um, like either tragic in their lives or um, triumphant, and I'm trying to capture that. So I, I'm using a lot of my fiction, uh, um, like the, the phrasing or like repetition or tension-building skills. I'll put that into something that reads much like a, an article, but it's a re- about real people. Um, so that's my current project, and that's the thing that I'm really into right now. Um, and I have a few of them, which I can talk about later, that have already been published. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I love writing that causes some kind of empathy and connection oh, yes. with a group that maybe the reader hasn't connected with before. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your end goal with, with that? Are you putting together a collection? Um, yeah. So I have this um, – I want to catalog uh, these different women's experiences – And I was actually motivated or inspired by a poet who I used to work with back at Westchester University. Her name is Kim Bridgeford, and who's passed recently, like two years ago now. But um, she created this uh, catalog for women poets, and it's this massive project. And she said, I want to uh, have an article written about every woman poet who has ever lived and for it to go in this database. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like wild. (laughs) She did this, and it's part of a literary journal. So I thought that I could do something like that as well because powerlifting is so big and it's so momentous and um, in my world, and I just want to reach out to other people and talk about it because I feel like there's been so much growth in my own life because of this weird, bizarre sport. It's so it's so animalistic. If you watch videos of it, it's crazy. Like people get really riled up and like sometimes people will like like punch their hands or they they smell ammonia to get the the nervous system like shocked before they go and do it. Sometimes people want to be hit on their backs. I don't like that. I'm not into that. <laughs> but there are these meets, you see these people get really riled and taken to their basic form, which is almost animalistic. And it's like they're fighting something when they go to lift this weight. And so I want to talk about that. Um, and so my goal is is to try to capture these women's stories of growth uh, via the mode of powerlifting and, um, and see what that's going to be. Um, I want to house them all. It's, this is the other part of it. I want to take all of those, and I needed an audience, which is the big thing. I mean, who am I going to market this to? And I needed a place to store it so that people can go to it and they know where to find this website. And so I reached out to this. It's actually a clothing company, but it's bigger than that. It's um, it's called Sisters of Iron, and it's a um, 
a company that makes athletic clothing, but it also has this, uh, it houses a blog on their website that has things about nutrition and training and videos and how-tos. And I just reached out to the owner because I was feeling really confident one day because I just came in from lifting a lot of weight and I feel like I could do anything after I do that. So I just randomly messaged this woman and I'm like, hey, I don't even know you. I'm like, hey, can I want to be aligned with your company and could I use... Um, could I write these uh, and have these stories be associated with your company and post them onto your website? And she loved it. She was like, yeah, you get, yeah, I love this. Let's do it. And so now we've partnered and now there's a little home for, for this catalog. Um, and I'm only on story, like the third one, but I envision it being something that I, I asked for volunteers. So I have 53 women who I'm going to be interviewing, but because I work full-time and train full-time and I'm a mom and, and married and my husband own owns a business, so it, we're very busy. Mm-hmm. I can only do two a month. Um, so I'm scheduled out into 2024 to be doing these. So oh, this wow. is- that's amazing. It's exciting, yeah. yeah, and I'm just figuring out how to do it, you know. Yeah, getting my questioning better. Like, but I also want it to be really open and organic when I'm going through the questions. So if we derail and go down some avenue for 20 minutes, I'm fine with it. Like, I really want to be able to capture each woman's essence and, and put that into the story. Oh, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> How did your military service affect your writing? So I started writing very young. My sister taught me how to read actually very young. And she's seven years older than me. And she and she sat me down at a desk and we'd play school and she was strict. And she would, um, <laughs> I would read a book and I would get a word wrong and she'd hit the desk with the ruler and she'd be like, read it again. And so I would, and, it, and I would be like, see, spot, see, spot, run, you know, like trying to get these words out. And, um, but I'm grateful for that because she shaped my love of reading from a very, very young age. And I wrote my first story at the age of eight, which is like this 30-page handwritten book about, it was called The Never-Ending Third Grade Year, and it did end. And But it was just like me, my adventures with my friends is really what it was all about. And then I wrote all through elementary and high, and I won like writing competitions and stuff with the schools, you know, you like mm-hmm. submit an essay. And then um, high school, I was very angsty and I needed to write about... I don't know, just whatever, but, you know, like angsty teenage stuff. And I fell in love with Emerson, Emerson's poetry. And, yeah, so I was just, like, trying to go against the grain in every way possible. And then I joined the Marines at 18, and I stopped writing for seven years. It was the weirdest experience because I had always processed my, like, existence in in the world through the written word. And it was... um, it was so strange to not have that vehicle anymore. It's like sometimes I don't even know what I think all the way till I write it out. And then afterwards, I'm like, that's what I think. And I didn't have that as a means of processing anything for seven years. And it's not because I wasn't permitted, like I could do it in my own time. But it's like that entire environment isn't necessarily conducive for me um, for creating. It's more like I need a vulnerable space in order to create. And there was no, like, I, I couldn't act vulnerable. <laughs> Being one of the only women among all these guys, I couldn't. And even though I had my own private moments or I was with other women sometimes, it wasn't, um, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't let it come out. And so it really wasn't until I came back to college. Like later I got out of the Marines and I had these other jobs. And then I went to college at the age of 29. And then while I was 
in the classroom or having to write essays a bunch I rediscovered my love of writing like came back at me and it was like this is what you're <laughs> you've ignored me for too long <laughs> and now I'm going to redirect the rest of your life <laughs> future career path <laughs> I love that I love that um that writing doesn't have to be something that you're doing all along that you had that break but it didn't mean that you were done that you weren't a writer yeah you were just building all that creativity um you said something interesting though you mentioned a vulnerable space to write so Mm -hmm. when you write now what does that look like where are you where do you physically find the space to write what kind of space what kind of noise do you Mm -hmm. like to hear oh man so i because my schedule is so busy i take it where i can but preferably it would be first thing in the morning before i do anything else i just want to be like in my bed because i'm just like coming out of sleep I'm not thinking I I do actually I wake up and I'm like oh my god what do I have to do today (laughs) my brain starts (laughs) going crazy but before I actually have to physically act on those things I like if my laptop's right there then I can roll over and grab it um during COVID time actually the COVID shutdown time um, it was great I would do that and my husband would come and bring me coffee in the morning and I could just be sitting in there like typing for I had the first few hours of the day and then he had the, the later in the afternoon because he, he paints and tattoos. So we both need this time like while the other one's watching the little one, this person is doing the, their creative work. So that would be my ideal time is first thing in the morning, no work that day. You know, just I don't have any pressure from the outside uh, directing how much time I need to be able to sit and create. That would be ideal for sure. And I don't like music. I don't want background information, like background Mm -hmm. sound. I don't like any of that. Um, Yeah, it just has to be really quiet. That sounds amazing. That COVID was good for that, for creativity. So good. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I, yeah, I really thrived during that time creatively. Mm -hmm. How does your daughter inspire stories? Oh, she, um, so after I, I had applied to all these MFA programs after, um, so I did my undergrad and then I did a master's and I got my master's in English. And then um, I didn't, I applied to all these MFAs and I wasn't sure which school I was going to going to get into and some of them for fiction and some of them for nonfiction. But the main theme of how I got accepted into four of them was that they wanted me to write about my military. Like they were all fascinated about my military career, um, just being a woman in the Marine Corps. And when I, right before we moved to Florida, I found out I was pregnant. And all I could think about was what kind of mom am I gonna be? Like, am I going to be, like my mom is the most amazing, brilliant, crazy, wild woman (laughs) in the world. And I just needed to know if I was, I just, I needed to put that under the lens. Was I going to repeat some of the things that I wish she hadn't done? Uh, I just really needed to process what kind of um, child was I going to help uh, live in this world. And so I had to evaluate that constantly. And so that was what my writing was all about in my, in my workshop sometimes. <laughs> I didn't, like a lot of the people in my workshops liked my writing. But I could tell that some of the younger people were probably like, oh, my gosh, she's analyzing real life motherhood (laughs) stuff again. (laughs) And even though it was creatively written, um, it was just really processing. Like I had all these crazy things happen in life and I wanted to process them. And they're more interesting than fiction, I think. Um, And I used some of that stuff in my fiction. Um, And I think that was just me trying to 
yeah, figure out how to break the cycle or how to continue doing the cycle of things that were beautiful that my mom passed on to me. Um, but also figuring out a way to carve out my own existence and making sure that my daughter uh, thrives and feels protected and listened to. Um, so she's, I mean, she completely rerouted the way that I processed writing. And um, and I still, like, uh, we also write stories together, too. So in, in addition to, like, how the topics changed altogether, we write stories together, she draws pictures, and then we write... I mean, we have like 15 little small, like 20, you know, little books where she just draws it. And it's the theme is like a very short thing that happens on Thanksgiving or something. But we write it together, which is really cool. And my husband also does it with her. So, oh, that's amazing. I know. It's so sweet. And she's such a good writer. And she's already, she's only in first grade, but she's already reading and writing at the second grade level. Her scores have already <laughs> given back. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> There you go. Proud uh, yeah. mom moment. Yeah. And she's creating. Yeah. 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 She's she's always uh, she's always there when I write. That's, That's awesome. A, a great bonding experience too to write yeah. stories with your daughter. Oh yeah. It's, incredible. it's so great. Yeah. Yeah. So your your daughter has influenced you, mm -hmm. your writing. Mm -hmm. Your very strict sister has influenced oh, you yeah. as a writer. And I'm very close with her now uh, and grateful to her. <laughs> Would you say there are other writers that have influenced your style? Oh, yeah. Um, so I I fell in love with Tolstoy when I was in my undergrad. I um, I had, I took all these political science classes with this Russian professor, oh, and his teaching style was so drastic and intense. He was kind of grumpy and so firm. A lot of professors, or a lot of students did not want to take his class because he called you out. But I like that. I like being put on the spot. Um, and I, because it raises the stakes, it means I need to do my work and I want to like uphold a different standard, you know. And I liked that he held people accountable. Um, and he would ask questions, like if I got my answer wrong, uh, he would say something really dramatic, like, that's three daggers to my heart. And I was like, who is that? What a bizarre. His name is Yuri Polsky, my favorite professor. And he kept saying to us that we need to understand, in order to understand Russia better, we need to read those writers. And so I randomly ordered War and Peace from online. I like brought it home and I started reading it. I was 80 pages in. I'm like, oh my God, there's like 40 people already in this first. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. But then I just kept reading it and I just fell in love with this way of being able to talk about some large world scale phenomenon that happened, but um, but examining it up close with uh, through the lens of five different families and all the people in those families. And I thought that's a way to talk about things that matter to everybody is if we can just tap into like the human uh, ability to process these terrible things um, it through a story because it's not lectured at you. Like I already took political science and I, and I, I understand how debate works and I don't like didactic writing where it's trying to have you discover what the political agenda is. I can't stand that. Uh, not in art anyway. And, um, but I didn't, back in the day I was more fine with it. Um, but I thought that this is the way that uh, Tolstoy wrote about all of these things that had happened during the Napoleonic Wars. And you could tell what his positions were on it, but he de detailed the human existence during that time so well that I just felt that people will come to their own realizations about how peace is just better by pre creating this work or any work that, that highlights that there's still humans at the end of all that suffering. And, um, and I'm kind of like 
rambling here, but his work is one of the ones that were most that was most influential. And then um, I went to uh, and I read a few more of his uh, stories, and then I went to Dostoevsky next, which um, was a complete like psychological <laughs> like whoa. <laughs> I when I read uh, the Brothers Karamazov, I was floored by just I started to see how a narrative could maybe be organized according to one character's trait it's like each one of those characters had overwhelming a trait that when he was writing that person it's like that trait had to be the thing that was shown through through every scene and so I just started to see how stories could be pieced together in that way Um, so those were the two main writers that influenced me and made my decision to go completely into English instead of um, continuing on the path uh, towards working at the United Nations, which is what I originally wanted to do um, when I was doing my undergrad. And then um, my contemporary favorite writer uh, is George Saunders. He does, uh, he writes short fiction and um, he just creates a I don't know his language is so fast and rapid you have no choice but to just like jump in and be pulled along quickly um, and to only see what he's allowing you to see he's he's very tricky and so smart and uh and I'm left often crying at the end of his story it's like I want that emotional impact as well and so his writing does that for me and okay, and I'm trying <laughs> like, I can keep going. I mean, we talk writing, we can go for a long time. Um, but there's one other uh, writer who um, is very near and dear to me, who I've shared her work um, as well. Her name is Spring Ulmer, and she was my writing professor at Westchester University. And uh, we later became uh, good friends after um, I took her class. But her writing and the way she ran workshop influenced my writing and my ability to write nonfiction. It made me a little bolder about examining things that happened in my own life and sharing them with other people. And, um, and then on top of that, it's, um, yeah, I, even the way that I teach my classes has to do with the way that um, her classes were run, the way that she tries to just make it comfortable and poses these, psycho- or not, well, sometimes psychological, but philosophical questions about like what what is right and what is wrong and what responsibility do we owe a character or the audience when we're creating these worlds. Um, yeah. I, I love these ideas. <laughs> it, um, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking um, some writers um, write just for the sake of writing, to tell a story. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Fifty Shades of Grey. They're just yeah. telling a story. It sounds like you're more uh, intentional in your writing. Mm-hmm. And getting a message across and affecting the way people think, dropping the United Nations, but instead influencing people with the way they think through through your writing. Yeah, I think when I first did it, I was much more radical in my twenties, uh, and I think that I wanted to have elements of social commentary in my stories. And um, but I always, I, as I wrote a few of them, I realized that the cost was that I'm losing people who don't want to feel like they're being lectured to. And readers are so much smarter than writers sometimes think. Like they might think that they just, they're smarter. They're catching all these uh, hidden innuendos. But I find that people who don't even read regularly often can pick up on things um, that are very subtle. And I started uh, just really exploring the human mind um, and human incentive in the story instead of, um, yeah, making sure I'm trying to have some sort of criticism about, I don't know, like p- 
people selling their work or their bodies for a particular, you know, to be able to support themselves or whatever. That was something I let go of a long time ago, in my writing anyway, in my art. <laughs> Would you say that I, like, that improved, like, the quality of your writing? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, as soon as I, I just went to the, if I went to the page without an expectation about what I was trying to force and allowed play to happen, which is, you have, I have to be vulnerable for that to happen, and I have to be non-judgmental, or I'm not going to, I'll write something, and the next day I'll be like, oh, I'm going to throw it away because I think it's ugly or it's terrible or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I just approach it now where I try to not know exactly what's going to happen, have a loose framework, but be open to the idea that the, the piece is going to take on a life of its own, and it should. I, I think that I'm just there as a vehicle to create this thing that other people are going to be able to read, hopefully, and enjoy or not enjoy or have some sort of uh, emotional interaction with. I, I want to pull emotions out, and it could be um, like anger or frustration. I'm fine with those being the emotions. Like sometimes people will read my stuff and be like, "That is gross." I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> that's what I want." <laughs> are you repulsed by it? Good. Do you hate this person? Yes. Or do you? But I, I don't want lukewarm. So, um, and I feel like I had to go into lukewarm territory when I was trying to write more. When I was, you know, trying to explore. Like for example, when I was in my MFA program, I wrote a story where I had. Um, a person who would be coined a t as a terrorist um, by any standard, you know, by any definition. Uh, I was trying to see if I could make that character a compassionate character, a character that people could sympathize with, because I'm interested, like, how far can we push a character uh, before we can, they're so alienated from ourselves that we can't find compassion for that person anymore. And um, I brought that story to the workshop and like some people were not into that story they were like why are you trying to get me <laughs> to have feelings or think that this terrorist is an okay guy I'm like well I don't well, I don't know because sometimes maybe people are driven to terrible I don't know like this is fiction's a place where we play with these things and figure out like mm -hmm. is there space for forgiveness and compassion and I don't think that there are other modalities out there that exist where we can do that I mean maybe I don't know, but not without actually hurting people. I guess film, we could do that too, or photography, I guess. But these are things that I'm curious about, and so the fictional world allows me to try to make these discoveries, I think. I love that, exploring <laughs> yeah. uh, in the fictional world. Yeah. Um, so I think most importantly, where, where can listeners find your writing? Uh, you mentioned mm -hmm. a website. Uh, maybe yeah. give us that. Or if you have a, an author website where we could look you up. Yeah, I have my own website. It's janamoretti.com. And um, that has my fiction and some poetry. And it has the links to take you to some of the stuff that's been published. And even my academic, some of my academic work that's on there. And um, I have uh, the other website is uh, sistersofiron.com. And that's um, when you click on the blog. That's where you'll be able to see the, uh, the articles there. And then what advice do you have for aspiring writers? Oh, just do it. Just do yeah, it. <laughs> just you have to do it. If you, if you sit there and allow your fear of what it, how stupid it's going to sound or um, how it's going to be received by other people, um, you have to be a little rebellious against other people and not care what they think, even though so much about what you're hoping that they're going to love it. And it's this... Uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of ironic. It's like you, you're writing because you want other people to experience these things. But at the same time, you have to be like, shut up. I can't <laughs> listen to the negativity or the fear of what might be said that would prevent something from being explored. 
Um, so I would say just write. And I would also say immerse yourself in reading. Just read all the time. Like it teaches you how to do it if you just keep coming, you know, teaches you how not to do it too, how to like do something different than what's already been done. Well, thank you, Jana, for your time. Thank you for coming on the Zephyr podcast. And uh, hopefully we can meet with you again soon. All right. Thank you.